This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media business matters to people who love media. I'm Alex Entner. And I'm Amanda Lotz. And if you're a regular listener, you know that we've just done that backward. Today, we're going to mix things up a little bit. And instead of Alex asking me questions, I'm going to ask him questions. Given that it's the time of year for the Tonys, and there's been more than a little attention to this this small little production called Hamilton, we decided it was time to take a look at theater as a a media industry. I, however, know nothing about this media industry, while Alex knows quite a bit. So today we're going to dive deep into the nuts and bolts of theater as a media industry with Alex as the source of our knowledge. I'm looking forward to it. I've been a fan of theater and a student of theater for a long time, so I'm looking forward to sharing what I can. So to get started, Alex, how does theater compare with other media industries? Well, theater works a little differently than media industries, though it's probably closer to television than any other because everything is kind of looked at on a weekly basis. A typical schedule for a show, both on Broadway, off Broadway, kind of all over the country, is they will do eight performances a week. And grosses and expenses, again, are counted weekly. For every show, it kind of has a generic cost model where an upfront capitalization is raised from either a single producer, someone like maybe Disney coming in and fronting the whole thing, or from a group of investors. You can invest in a Broadway show for as little as $10,000, and usually they'll build a capitalization, which for a play can be in the range of three to four million, or for a big musical can run 15 to 25 million. And that covers things like writing the show, rehearsals, building sets, loading into the theater, and they even raise a little bit of money to have in the bank in case they lose later. And then every show as well has a weekly cost, which includes paying the cast and crew, royalties to creators, and rent to the actual owners of the theater. And how it's like television, it's more weekly, but in some cases, losses during downtimes can be made up for in peak time. So there is kind of that yearly aspect to it, too. So it's similar to media industries. We've, we often talk about one of the big distinctions of the product of media industries is their enormous sunk costs. Right. Right. So, so all of that you've just mentioned, that three to four or 15 to 25 million, those are the costs that you have to spend before you even know whether or not you, you have something yeah, Before you work. even perform for an audience. So, but it does sound like it's a little bit different than, I mean, one of the distinctions of media then is the way in which they have such low reproduction costs. Right. And that's where we do start to move away from a mediated subject. Instead, people are actually going to the theater and yeah. observing it. And it's having, and like going to a theater to see a movie where there's really no cost to showing that movie again and again at that point. Right? No, it, it's the cost of maintaining the theater rather than having actors in front of you and people you actually have to pay. Right. So theater has significant uh, additional costs, not just those notable sunk costs. Although something that really differentiates theater is its longevity. You know, movies run for a certain amount of time. TV shows will run, you know, a certain amount of weeks in the season. But a hit theater show can run every week for years and years and years. Phantom, like Phantom how many years? Oh, Phantom, you can run, any, a small musical hit can run for anywhere from like three years to something like Phantom of the Opera, which has been running consistently since 1988. Wow. Yeah, so you, you can have a hit that goes on for a long time. 
So how do you tell when something's not a hit then? I mean, so obviously some things will close up really quickly, but is yeah. it okay to, to not go five, ten years? It is absolutely okay to not go five, ten years. Really what your goal is, is you, when you have the weekly cost, your goal is to make more money than that weekly cost. And that's the money that you use to pay back investors. At the end of the day, what defines a hit for Broadway is if you make back that initial capitalization. So if you make back all the money you sunk into it at the beginning, and what defines a failure is you're not making back that weekly, weekly cost, so you're actually then losing money. And that that's when shows unfortunately close. Or you have a limited run, and you're scheduled to run for X amount of time, and you're hoping and praying that you can get your seats filled such that you can make back your money and say, four months instead of years. So what percentage of the theater industry, such that it is, would be considered to be New York-based? Well, I would say the majority of it, based on the concrete numbers I have. Although the only the numbers I have are for the 2014 to 2015 season, touring Broadway, which would be Broadway shows that are touring around the country. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see something like the Book of Mormon in L.A. or Omaha, that would be touring Broadway. They made $956 million in grosses or just over a million per performing week, which is, you know, a week of shows. And there were something in the range of 900, like 900 performing weeks counted towards that total. Although this doesn't include things like regional theaters, which produce their own content and their grosses aren't necessarily reported. But this compares to the 1.365 billion that Broadway brings in. And even more when you include off-Broadway shows and opera and kind of other industry and other performing arts that exist in the city. So what's the difference between Broadway and off-Broadway? Broadway is defined to be a theater of 500 seats or more, and off-Broadway will run 200 to 499. Now, not every theater over 500 seats is a Broadway theater, like the Metropolitan Opera House, not a Broadway theater, but it's defined to be the number of seats in your theater is how it's defined. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So again, coming back to the fact that theater has these recurring costs that typically many media don't, they, they can't take advantage of economies of scale in quite the same way. They really are limited to, you can only do so many shows a day, yep. uh, and you there are only so many places one can perform. Only so many sets you can afford to build so you can send shows on the road. Usually you only have one touring company, though something like Wicked or the Book of Mormon or The Lion King have been known to have two, or in some cases three companies going around the country at the same time. And how comparable is seeing a show from a touring company? Uh, It's usually the same show. Uh, There might be some technical elements that, such as trap doors or other effects, that you might not be able to do on tour because you have to essentially pack away your set and move it everywhere you go. And the cast will not be the same cast. Um, You occasionally see some actors go out on tour with their show. Like Idina Menzel went on tour with a musical called If Then that she performed on Broadway. But it, it tends to be rare that you see that. So it, it's largely the same show. It's the same script. And the differences are really within the cast and maybe maybe some of the production elements. How healthy is theater? I mean, I imagine it, it's not facing the same challenges of digitization and globalization that are confounding no, other um, media. It's, it's a bit hard to digitize something <laughs> like theater. That I mean, you never see shows get filmed. And, or I, should say, I shouldn't say never, because it does happen. Mm-hmm. But it's rare that you'll see something be filmed and put out there. And, you know, it's easy to look at something like Hamilton, which we'll talk about a bit later, and think theater is at the best it's ever been. And to a point, it really is. 
Broadway this season, from June 2015 to May 2016, grossed more than they ever have, $1.373 billion. Wow. And brought in 13.32 million people to the theater. So those are ticket scan, people going to a show. But something I find interesting about this industry is that it's very top-driven. There's a small amount of shows that take up a lot of the attention and take up a lot of the money, and some smaller shows struggle. And this season especially, a lot of the smaller shows that tried to come in really got lost in the wave of Hamilton. But, I mean, last year, shows like Hand to God uh, and Fun Home, Hand to God, it's a play about a puppet that gets that's possessed by the devil. I saw it. I loved it. And Fun Home is the based on the Alice in Bechdel graphic novel that won the Tony for Best Musical. Those are small shows that are able to were able to do well in small theaters, but the smaller shows this year kind of struggle. Still, though, the the industry brings in a lot of stars to the stage. Uh, something that's especially been a trend in recent years is a star will come in, do a three four month run, and then go away. And usually they'll come in, they'll make a lot, a lot, a lot of money, and they'll go. So people like Kira Knightley came to Broadway this season. Jeff Daniels, Lupita Nyong'o, Jim Parsons, Zachary Levi, and Jennifer Hudson performed on the stage. Though when looking at the grosses, only Jennifer Hudson, Zachary Levi, and Jim Parsons proved to be draws to bring people in. So theater is not immune to sort of this notion of blockbusters. No, not at all. What have been the major changes or challenges to the theater industry then, if it hasn't facing the, the scourge of digitization? Well, I would say some, it, it's the same struggle that a lot of TV shows have and movies have. It's getting butts in seats and getting those little shows noticed and helping them break through. And so say more about things that have been big changes over time. Yeah, I would say something like the power of reviews. Um, it used to be back in the day, the New York Times review said everything about how a show would do. Like, a good New York Times review was enough power to give you a nice long run just on its own. And I would say the power of that has dropped quite a bit. You know, the Times does have a name. They still have some critics who are pretty well known, but it doesn't make or break a show's run now nearly as much as it used to. Also, initial capitalizations are going way, way, way up. So it's costing more. Um, yes, it's costing more to put on the shows in general, especially for something like a big musical. You know, something like Wicked cost a lot of money and cost, I think the number is $14 million. Wow. And that was in 2004. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, though, that cost a lot of money. That cost $75 million to put on the stage. That's more than twice as much as any other show has cost before that. Okay. Um, and it well, it ended up losing sixty million of that after its run. So talk a little bit about I've I've heard so much about how difficult Hamilton tickets are to get in. Is is theater otherwise difficult to get tickets to? What 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 does a ticket to a Broadway show cost? Well, I'll answer uh, your first question first. There's a handful of shows that I would say are difficult to get tickets to. Um, something like Hamilton, obviously, but The Book of Mormon still sells out every week. Wicked still sells out every week. The Lion King, still a big draw, even 20 years into its run. And a typical Broadway ticket, th this is an interesting question because prices have gone up recently. Producers actually keep slowly but surely raising the prices up. When I first started going to theater in the early 2000s, it probably cost in the range of 100 to 110 for, you know, a good orchestra seat or a good seat in the front mezzanine. Now that cost is more like 150 to 160. 
um, for a musical and for a play, it's probably a little less. You're probably looking at 120 for the top seats and maybe even more. Something that started in kind of the 2000s is something called premium tickets, where they mark off the front of the orchestra and maybe even the front couple rows of the mezzanine and mark them up at a higher price and sell them for anywhere in the range from 200 to $500. Is theater having the same challenge that a lot of music concerts have had with uh, false services or services buying up all the tickets and then selling them at a premium or even fake tickets? I would say that's only really the biggest thing with that has been Hamilton. Um, Hamilton has had lots and lots of problems with fake tickets recently. Um, But I would say, you know, that the only thing I'm sure it's happening but it, it's really only been prevalent and been a big story with Hamilton because of the band and buzz around the show. So this really is, this issue of price point is significantly different from any other media industry. That's, that's a good chunk of money uh, in order to be able to see a show. And then on top of that, the issue of, of location, of right. getting you, to you New have York. To be in, you have to be where the show is performing. Although I say the top tickets, the bottom is still fairly low. You can get a Broadway ticket for as little as 20 bucks if you know. There, there are kind of hidden secrets with things like rushes, where, you know, you go to the theater the day of and hope they have tickets. Or lotteries are big now, where you can show up at the theater, enter your name, and they'll draw, say, 10 names for $20 tickets. Hamilton has been very popular <laughs> with their ham for ham, where they, they sell the front row at $10 a ticket, though... I've heard those are very, very hard tickets to get, and hundreds try every day. I imagine. So what about going forward, and what about now? What are the big challenges facing theater? Well, I what we were talking about with ticket price is a big one. Um, they haven't reached a ceiling yet, but they inevitably will. There will reach a point where people will stop paying for tickets. You know, Hamilton will be Hamilton, but if something like the Book of Mormon or even a tiny little show tried to charge hundreds of dollars per seat, they're not going to get people in. Yeah, and I would say is, for the big shows, people will pay. For People will pay to see the Book of Mormon. People will pay to see Hamilton. But for others, it's hard to know exactly where that ceiling is. And they're going to try to push it until they get there. That's interesting because, again, you know, sort of like you don't know whether or not, whether it's a film or it's, it's theater, whether you have a big hit. Right. And so with a film, it all goes out there, it gets distributed for the same amount, or you pay the same to see a film no matter what. Right. Where with theater, you, you do have that ability to find out that, hey, this is a hit, and then have some flexibility. Or find out, hey, this is not a hit, and well, this isn't worth too. your money. <laughs> um, and I would also say something that's also going to be a challenge is the, the blockbusters are just going to keep getting bigger. I think mm-hmm. Hamilton showed that we have not reached the ceiling for Broadway blockbusters yet. So I, I'm kind of curious to see how how high the top can go without cannibalizing the bottom. What makes, I think, I want to push on the notion of blockbuster, because certainly something like Spider-Man, um, you know, that was known intellectual property, and that had a lot of effects. And so that right. sort of was setting it, it up to be a blockbuster in a, in a traditional sense. Is there anything to Hamilton itself that that in its DNA, we would have guessed it would be a blockbuster? You know, I would never have guessed that Hamilton will be a blockbuster. Um, it, it, it still shocks me that the show has done as well as it does. I mean, it, it's a hip hop musical about Alexander Hamilton. I mean, I, the, this <laughs> You're thing speechless. just grew. It, it, yeah, I am, because this just kind of grew out of nowhere. I mean, something like, it. really what happens a lot in theater, 
is you'll start out kind of with this little thing that you don't, again, nobody knows. And then buzz will grow and grow. And then the tourists will get interested. And then people are going to see it. Like the Book of Mormon kind of came from nowhere too. There were discounts to previews of the Book of Mormon because, you know, they weren't selling tickets. And then it opened and just became this massive success. Hmm. So again, sort of the distinction of, of theater and its taking place in an, in an actual space. And once you've mounted all the costs to put it on, the fact that it's it's given some time. And I wonder if there's lessons that you know, other parts of the media industry could learn or whether this is just specific to the physicality of, of theater. Uh, I mean, I think about sort of the broad, uh, network shows that get pulled after, you know, bad ratings twice and then it's over. And, and the way in which it never gets a lot of, of programming doesn't get a chance or the same thing happens with theatricals. If you don't have a good opening weekend, then a lot of the promo gets pulled away. And so I think it's interesting to think about how the, the difference in different kinds of media can allow them different opportunities. Oh, yeah. I'm, although to say that, you know, theater gets time, that isn't always true. There, There is always a show or there's always a few shows every year that close within a couple weeks of their opening because they get either mixed, they get kind of mixed reviews and the ticket sales weren't really there to begin with. So to say that theater, you know, gets time always isn't necessarily true. It, it, and in that way, it's kind of like TV, you know, the plug gets pulled after two episodes or something like that. So who owns the theater industry, if, if anyone? Well, it, it's hard to say anyone owns the industry, but people definitely own the theaters where the actual performances happen. Uh, in New York, there are kind of a handful of companies. There are 40 Broadway theaters in total. Okay. Um, and of the 40, the Schubert organization owns 17, the Nederlander organization owns nine, and Dujamson owns five. So they kind of own the bulk of the Broadway theaters. And these are the spaces that people perform in. Right. And they're the ones who decide what shows go where. Uh, they decide what shows, and they even can decide what shows close. Theater owners have the power to actually pull the plug on a show if its grosses are low enough. And there are also a, a few other companies that own Disney, actually owns one theater, the New Amsterdam, where they produce their own content. Like mm -hmm. Lion King started there. Uh, and then moved to a Nederlander theater to make room for Mary Poppins, and now Aladdin's running there. Yeah. Uh, and th those are what are what are called the for-profit theaters. Uh, and there's also three not-for-profit companies that own buildings in New York. The Roundabout Theater Company owns three. Uh, they produce their own shows in two of them, and actually they rent one to beautiful the Carol King musical, the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Uh, Li Lincoln Center owns one theater that's actually in their complex, mm -hmm. which, and they're the only theater that's actually outside of the geogra a certain geographic uh, block of Times Square. And then the Manhattan Theater Company also owns one. And the productions are owned by the producers. Uh, who eventually will allow other theaters to get the rights and produce the show. They're the ones who own the copyright on it. And so for the most part, the producers are not the theater owners, with the exception probably of Disney. Yeah, the, the producer, yeah, with the exception of Disney and the not-profits, um, the producers are not the theater owners, usually. Um, so separation... The separations principle still in place. The distribution, if you want to call the yeah, the if you want to call the, yeah, yeah the exhibition space, and then and the, the content being separate. Okay. Yes, yes. So, what are then the key roles in theater, and sort of the equivalent of positions like director, producer that we pay attention to in television and film? Well, there, there's actually kind of similar roles. Um, there's a producer. The producer. So, like film and TV shows have producers. 
their job is, and like in film and TV, their job is logistical. You know, they gotta coordinate everything, make sure that you have a theater, you have a space to perform in. Um, but they also, unlike in film and TV, they're tasked with raising the money. Oh. They, they have, they're the ones who have to get, talk to the investors and raise the initial capital uh, to get a show going. Um, which, which in film and TV, you don't necessarily have to do that. Well, it's a process of getting greenlit or selling the, selling a studio on the concept. Right. And, you know, you have to sell producers who can then have to go in and raise money. But the director is more like film than TV. They're key visionaries behind the shows. Uh, the director is a very important role. They're the ones who kind of make the big picture on the stage happen. They're the ones who work with the actors. So the writers are really important as well. Actually, I don't know. Just now that I made the film comparison, I don't know if I <laughs> love it. Because film is considered a director's medium. TV is a writer's medium. But theater really isn't either. Mm. You know, the writers are writing the show. And they actually, everybody still works together while performances have, after performances have started. You know, in film, you don't, you release something and that's it. You know, maybe you'll get a director's cut, but usually you don't get to edit it again. In theater, you have what are called preview periods, which are where audiences see the show and rehearsal, rehearsals continue to happen and changes continue to be made and shows only, quote-unquote, freeze shortly before opening. So how big of a hit is Hamilton? Okay, I have written on our rundown, in all caps, MASSIVE. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. Broadway still has hits which sell out, Every week, something like The Book of Mormon, Wicked, The Lion King. But I've never seen anything create this much buzz. And, you know, we were talking about earlier, this amount of scalping for tickets. So even when Phantom of the Opera opened? Yeah, even when Phantom of the Opera opened. Or, yeah. Oh, was it, was it Cats before that? You know, there were hits that sold out, but I've never seen anything quite reach culture. You know, non-theater fans are talking about it non-theater fans are buzzing about it and that's that, that that's just what's insane to me you know it's a it's a hit with financials it's a creative hit it won the pulitzer prize for drama which has only happened a handful of other times before that with a musical i don't know the exact number off the top of my head um, and it's the easy favorite for the Tony for Best Musical this year. It, it, it's just insane to me. And I mean, I, I say that not with a critical eye. I say it, it, it's insane to me, but I love that this is happening for theater. So what are the consequences of a big hit then for the industry more broadly? Does it, does it lift other boats? Um, you know, well, what it does is it brings attention to theater, though... I don't necessarily know if it lifts other boats. Hamilton is sucking energy away from some of the other shows on the street. Like, have you ever heard of Bright Star, Waitress, Shuffle Along, and one more I can't remember, <laughs> the nominee, the other nominees for Best Musical this year? Like, I mean, it is kind of... But it's also bringing people to the theater who either haven't been there for a while or haven't been at all. Usually you hear that with something like the Book of Mormon and Monty Python's Spamalot, which brought men into mm. the theater, who people who don't necessarily go. And it's also a tourist trap. It, it, theater is a tourist trap in a way, so... It's a destination. You go to yeah. New York to see a show. Yes, and I think something like Hamilton can bring people into New York, and, you know, they might go see, oh, what's that little fun home musical playing over there? 
And, you know, if you're in the space, you know, Hamilton is surrounded by other theaters on the street, at, on the same street as it. So you are physically in the same space with these other theaters. So if you were, if you've heard the buzz about Hamilton, you might get tickets and then make an arrangement to you know, fly to New York for the weekend and you'd see Hamilton. But the gross majority of, of New York visitors will not have had that plan in mind. And so if you go to New York as a tourist and you want to see a show, it's not going to be Hamilton. Oh, no, so. definitely not, unless you get really, 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 really <laughs> lucky. So in that case, perhaps that, that would help out another show. I, I think so. So how did Hamilton come to be? Is, is it a typical story? Actually, yes. Uh, it, it's very much kind of went through the typical development process for a show. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer of the show, has said that he read the book in 2008. Um, And that's kind of when he had this idea for a show. And that's kind of when the genesis of this show happened. And the the reason why I say it's typical is it took years to put together. And in theater, much like film, there can be a long lead time, a long development process. Um, he per- like he performed the opener of the show actually for the president in 2009. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but you really should look it up if you haven't. And you know it went through a development cycle. There was a series of readings. Usually, what happens for a show is they'll go through a series of industry readings with kind of insiders as a part of the development process. You know, you kind of run through the show. Usually, they're not stage. Usually, it's just kind of actors and you know, and music stands and just kind of singing through it or, and singing and speaking through it before it opened off-Broadway in early 2015, um, which is another normal part of the development process, usually with theater. A show will not go straight to Broadway and open cold on Broadway. That is ve- that's actually more rare than any other. Usually a show will open either off-Broadway in New York or maybe it'll go, you know, somewhere out of town, something like... Uh, Something like The Little Mermaid tried out in Denver. Frozen is going to try out rumored to be in Denver before it goes to Broadway. Uh, spring, t- I believe it's early 2018 is the plan. Uh, I'm not certain on that, though. Fact checkers, please uh, <laughs> tweet at Alex Entner, um, if you know better than I do. And usually they'll go out of town. They'll get reviewed um, by the critics in the area. And sometimes even the New York Times will send a critic mm-hmm. out there or some a major publications will. And, you know, it'll play for an audience, and then it'll go, it'll make some changes, and then it'll go to New York and open on Broadway. That's kind of a part of how buses build. So I heard something about profit-sharing in Hamilton. Is that a typical arrangement? Not at all. Not in the slightest. In, uh, and what so explain what happened. So, and what she's, Amanda is talking about with profit-sharing is giving the cast members a stake in a show if they've been with it for a long, like a percentage mm-hmm. of kind of the back end, mm-hmm. a percentage of the profits, um, which actually is commonplace in film. And Hamilton stars had to fight for it. Um, Hamilton stars went into a long series of negotiations with the producers to find the right number for their cut. But and, they did fight for it, and it's yes. not something that wouldn't normally happen. No, it is not something that would normally happen at all. Um, usually, and this was all before it became this giant hit. The, actually, the fight happened after okay. it became a giant hit. And that hit. makes so slightly they, more they sense. they came in, they saw the amount of money it was making, they're just like, wait, we've been this for a long time, where's our cut? Michael Riedel, a gossip columnist who writes for the New York Post, has actually reported that a lot of people, a lot of insiders in the industry are really angry 
at the Hamilton stars and producers for doing this. That's a new standard. Yeah, it sets up a different standard and less money for them. So we're coming up on the Tonys. How important would you say they are? I would say somewhat. Um, One award carries real value for a show, and that's a Tony Award for Best Musical. Only two shows in the new millennium didn't make their money back after winning the Tony Award for Best Musical. Um, In fact, it's actually producers have come out and said that we won the Tony for Best Musical saved our show. Something like A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder opened up in the fall, uh, was really, really struggling through the winter, but they kind of held out hope, thinking, you know, the Tonys will save us, the Tonys will save us. And they actually did. They got nominated, they started to pick up some steam, and then they won. And they ended up making their money back right before they closed earlier this year. And something like Once or Fun Home would not have been hits. I, I, I think they would not have been hits if it wasn't for their Tony win. Can musicals and plays win in repeated years or just sort of the no, year that they launch? they are only eligible for a Tony once um, wow. in the season they open. So if something want, runs for years and years and years, they can't it's not like the Emmys where you can keep winning, winning, winning. Or you just happen to open against Hamilton and your, the rest of your run is... Yeah, I, I don't want to say um, the other Tony, the other shows that open this season are hosed um, because Hamilton will not win every Tony for which it's nominated, both also because there have some where they have multiple nominees in some of the acting categories, so they won't. But there will be other shows that kind of win a few awards over Hamilton, something like uh, the set designer of She Loves Me. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping will win the Tony for uh, best set design or something like Cynthia Urbano probably butchering her last name, I'm sorry, Cynthia, from The Color Purple winning Best Actress over uh, Philippia Sue from Hamilton. So would you say that theater is more connected and integrated with media industries than in the past, or, or less so? I would say more, um, mostly because uh, existing IP is becoming a huge way of finding ideas for a show and kind of having IP behind you helps you get produced. Mm-hmm. Something like uh, this season had had musicals based on movies like Waitress and American Psycho. Waitress, which is actually doing fairly well for itself, uh, kind of in, in the ha- kind of just existing under the Hamilton bubble, um, and American Psycho, which did not do well and has actually announced that it'll close before the Tonys, or Tuck Everlasting, which also clo- which. will close after getting very few Tony nominations. And there are also plays like a play based on Stephen King's Misery. And last year had Finding Neverland. Film producers like Harvey Weinstein and corporations are also getting involved. Disney has been on Broadway for years. Since 94, when Beauty and the Beast opened, DreamWorks tried to produce, tried to put Shrek up there. That did not make it back its money. Um, and SpongeBob, the SpongeBob SquarePants musical wow. is coming next year. They're previewing and they're going out of town to Chicago uh, this summer, and they're going to open on Broadway next season. And also, stars from other mediums are coming to Broadway. We talked about some of them earlier, but Bradley Cooper came in not last, this season, but last season. Mm-hmm. What was in a big hit? The Elephant Man, Emma Stone, did a did a short run in Roundabout Theater Company's Cabaret revival. Larry David wrote his own play, uh, which act, which sold out every week that of its of its short run. Um, it's becoming increasingly important to have something big behind you on Broadway. So like in other industries, formatting known products, whether yeah. it's the IP or whether it's known actors and talent driving people in as well. Yeah. 
Um, although stage to, stage to screen and theater going to other mediums is becoming slightly rarer. There have only been a few. Think Les Mis, Into the Woods, Hair, or Hairspray is, prob- is another big one that have come out in the past few years. Well, I think that rounds up our look at theater pretty thoroughly. Now it's time for the closing segment. What are we watching? So, Alex, how about you? You know, I'm, I've talked a lot about TV here, but I'm going to talk, you know, I've, a lot of the TV I'm watching I've already discussed, so Run I'm going to talk game. about some movies right. that I saw recently. Uh, I saw Captain America Civil War at the beginning of the month, which was just fantastic. Um, really, really smart comic book movie. It was big. It had a lot going on, but it never faltered from its mission. It was. I found it to be a fascinating watch. And then Sing Street, which I just saw a couple weeks ago. Beautiful movie. John Carney, um, who directed it, also directed Once uh, and Begin Again, is one of my favorites. He is, you know, I think every movie he's made I've connected with in some way. Sing Street follows um, a, a guy who forms a rock band to impress a girl. And I really, I adore it the movie. Uh, Very sweet, very optimistic, great use of both existing 80s rock and original music that sounds Mm -hmm. like it should be existing 80s (laughs) rock. And, you know, since this is Tony time, I also want to give a shout out to the wonderful Paper Mill Playhouse in Milburn, New Jersey. I I grew up around Milburn, and I've been going to the Paper Mill for years, and they just won the Tony, or, and the Tony Award for Best Regional Theater. Oh, great. Um, you know, I've been going to them for years. I've had some great moments in that theater. Uh, I saw Newsies before it opened on Broadway. I saw the current production of Les Mis before it was on Broadway when it came to Paper Mill. Um, and I, their production of Seven Brides or Seven Brothers remains one of my favorite moments in the theater. Um, that's the show that saved them, actually, uh, from bankruptcy. And, you know, I, I have a very deep connection to the place. I wish I could be there more now that I'm at school. Um, and yeah, I, I really just want to give them my deepest congratulations because they deserve it. They've right. been working hard. Amanda, what are you watching this week? I have been working through the Americans and I'm now caught up on the current season. Ooh, I'm still a couple episodes behind, so shh. Ah, <laughs> the only spoiler I'll offer is the male robot's back. Ah, they love the male robot. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've I still can't quite put my finger on it, but The Americans isn't my show in the way it is for so many other critics. That's so disappointing to me. I I know, and I'm sorry, but um, now I think I was thinking a little bit about it, and I was I'm coming off of Billions, which I also wasn't over the moon about. But I think the thing that I like I like about Billions that uh, I find drags in The Americans is the. There are these complex machinations going on, and sort of, I think, when I'm watching Billions, I'm sort of engaged as a viewer trying to figure out what the next play is, how are these two forces working against each other, and this season of the of, of the Americans, even though the spy and intrigue setting sets itself up for that, it's just had a lot less of that, and I, I don't know if I just don't connect with the characters in the way that a lot of other critics do, but... Oh, man. Yeah, so I'm, it goes. Yeah, no, I, that's one of my favorite shows on TV <laughs> right now. It's, it's so sad I know, it, it is that. for many, and I was all set, you know, for the new season since I was so far behind, but but I'm still not quite getting it. Uh, to me, like, they, I, they just keep getting better. Like, to me, they're playing with all the pieces they've built for the entire run. I, uh, I Amanda, know. Sorry. Amanda, my heart. Oh, well. 
Well, that's it for this episode. On that note, that's it for this episode of Media Business Matters. You can find us on iTunes by searching Media Business Matters, or you can get links to our iTunes and RSS feeds at amandalots.com, where you can click on the Media Business Matters page and find back episodes of our show as well. You can follow us on Twitter. Amanda, where are you on Twitter? Where can they yell at you about not liking the Americans? <laughs> Dr. TV Lots, L-O-T-Z. And you can find me at Alex Intner, Alex I-N-T-N-E-R. Thank you so much for listening this week. And go to the theater.